Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Rotten Tomatoes Wrong About Titanic. Today we're going to discuss that with our special guest. But before we do, Mr. Mark Ellis. So glad to see you digitally, sir. Oh, Jacqueline Coley. Okay, so I use this camera pretty regularly that I'm <laughs> filming with. But get this, I go to turn it on this morning to conduct our, our lovely podcast simulcast video audio extravaganza. And a little white spider crawls out from under the camera. I use it regularly, but a white spider, I don't know if it's an albino, I don't know what species, what phylum of spider it is, crawled out and landed right on my hand. So are you the kind of person? I don't think so. I mean, I I just, if I see a spider, I'm just, I'm going to put it in my hand and if fate chooses me that day, I'll, I'll deal with it. But I usually just cup them in my hands and then I go outside and I set them free. I don't, I'm not a big fan of killing spiders. I'll get over it. I've done it in the past. Probably will do it again. But this guy just, I don't know, seemed like it, it was, it was not his time. And so I set him free. Yeah, I think if I ever got to the point where I allowed my sanity to reach that, but unfortunately, I startle easily. So the minute I see something random crawling, I kill it. (laughs) Do you startle easily? This is new information, and I will take advantage of this. I very much startle easily. It comes from being an only child and living alone, and you just don't think that there are other people around. But, you know, 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 like the... uh, like James Cameron, you know, in space, they can't hear you scream. Nobody hears me scream normally when I see my reflection in a mirror. <laughs> but that brings so us to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're operating on like Alien 1, where it's just yeah. like, we got we got this one alien we got to look out for. I grew up with an older sister, younger brother. So we grew up in an alien's world where it's just <laughs> crap's flying at you all the time. You got to be prepared for anything. Yeah, no, I was definitely like, like an alien type thing. Um, yeah. yeah, so... Speaking of which, James Cameron, of course, we're talking about his 1997, very, very Oscar nominated, big movie at the box office with an even bigger song movie, the Bodie McBoatface movie, Titanic. (laughs) It was a score of 89% certified fresh on the tomato meter with an audience score of 69% fresh. But Mark, take us back to 1997 and detail to us what happened in this three hour long movie. Good luck. 
Okay, so I'm going to take you further back than 97. Let's do some quick math. I'm going to take you back 85 more years to 1912, which is when the Titanic sets sail, the unsinkable ship, the greatest liner there ever was, except there is an iceberg, and it ended up sinking, and a lot of real people lost their lives, and everybody else got very, very cold and had a story to tell for the rest of their days. Cut to 1997, and the movie that had so much hoopla and hype behind it for years finally sees theaters, and people went to go see it, and they kept seeing it, and they kept seeing it. Why? Because there's a fantastical boat ride, and we see the sinking of it. We see it in all its majesty and all of its demise, but we kept coming back to the theater because of Jack and Rose Leo and Kate. That would be DiCaprio and Winslet of House Winslet and House DiCaprio because they fall in love on the boat and it's just such a sweeping epic romance against all odds. She comes from the good side of town. He's from the other side of the tracks. It's basically like the Billy Joel tune Uptown Girl is playing for three and a half hours during the course of this movie where we meet, we fall in love, and then there's some falling that unfortunately only befalls one of the characters. I, I think that's that's a good synopsis. We're going to totally spoil this later, so I just want to go ahead yeah. and say Jack dies. Uh, but... <laughs> well, you, I mean, I mean you got to give a five-second buffer, Jacqueline. You can't just... No. I'm, I'm, I'm hateful like that. I'll probably be more hateful about this movie in that fact. I'm just preparing people now. Lucy, yeah. how many times did you see Titanic in the movie theater? Zero. My mom would not let me see this movie in the movie theater. I was what? seven years old in 1997. But don't worry. I, I'm pretty sure this is a yearly rewatch since then. So I think when I was younger, I snuck it at one point and I loved it then and I love it now. And uh, oh, God, yeah, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> what can I say? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask our special guest the same thing, but let me go ahead and introduce her real quick. For our special guest today, we have Dorina Ariano. She is one third of the World Girls with Roxy Stryer and Steph Sabra. This is a jackass meets the Try Guys, but with girls. And she's also part of a political YouTube channel with John Roca. It's called Impolite Truths. Dorina, welcome, ma'am. Hello, hello, hola, hola. So, so good to see you guys. So good to be here be talking about the boat movie. It's very exciting. Uh, lots to say about the boat movie. Lots and lots to say. Uh, very happy uh, with uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, is letting me actually tell Rotten Tomatoes that it's wrong. So very excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you for I mean, having we're gonna, me I mean, I'm about that. Real quick though, <laughs> I want to call it the Bodie McBoat-based movie, but I think you're more about the Bodie movie, which I'm totally okay with if you want to call it the boat movie because Titanic, it just feels so 1997. It truly does. It really does, Jacqueline. And, yeah, well, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's not, it, we're not talking about a dinghy here. I, we, we could call it the cruise ship movie. We could call it boat trip. I mean, it's already a movie, but I don't think a lot of people saw. We can go boat trip. That's fine. <sighs> Missed title opportunity of the century. Thank you. Wait, real boat quick trip did we... have a letter. A, a, sorry, boat trip did have a, a better love story. So there's that. Yeah. I didn't watch boat trip. That was part of that Cuba Gooding Jr. I wanted to forget phase. But real quick, yeah. Darina, did you see it in the theater? I'm just curious how many times you saw it. I did. 1997 was still living in Mexico, Mexicali, and so I got to see it subtitled, not dubbed. And uh, for the first time, I took my first boyfriend. I was about 14 or 15 years old. And uh, halfway through the movie, I got so bored, I started making out with him. 
So that was my first kiss. Hey, the movie gives as much as it takes away. Mark, did you see it multiple times in the theater? Because I was, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one because I'm going to tell how many I saw it. I definitely didn't have any makeout sessions in the theater. I'm curious as to whether the movie bored you to the point where you made out with your boyfriend or you already wanted to make out with him and you had an excuse. Like, was it like, fine, I'd rather make out with this guy I don't want to make out with than watch the rest of this movie? Or did you genuinely want to lock lips in the theater? Well, I was, first of all, I was wearing braces. So it's not like I was yep. excited for the first kiss, right? Yeah. Uh, especially considering that when I went for it uh, during a Billy Zane's scene that we will talk about uh, shortly, um, he went for it and just straight up used the tongue into my braces. So it, it wasn't even a great first kiss. So I just kept mm. eating the popcorn and enjoying the special effects. No, no kiss for me. Um, we went on Christmas night to go see this movie as a family. Plus, my buddy Jack was the sixth wheel, and we all had a great time. I mean, you, you don't know what to expect walking into this movie, but you end up being impressed. And as a dude who was in high school seeing it, you're like, oh, I don't need to see the boat. But, oh, man, it's just all the feels walking out of that theater that fateful Christmas evening. I might have gone back to see it a second time, but Jacqueline, I have a friend who, if you're a regular listener to our program, the same friend that I referenced in our Notebook episode, she has seen this movie in theaters, I believe now 21 times, in, uh, including re-releases. So Wow. Yeah. Okay, so real quick, and then we're going to get into whether or not we're wrong. I saw this in the movie theater eight times, and the first okay. time I saw it was actually here in Glendale, California, when I was visiting my father when he lived out here. And we went to the movie theater that's by the mall that was like the Fast Times at Ridgemont High Mall, according to what I heard. I could be wrong about that, but I have a very Hollywood sort of like tie to this movie. Um, and yeah, I was all about it in 97. But we'll get to if um, I still think the way that I felt back then, because, you know, opinions change, times change. You know, script keeps getting written. But Darina, let's start with you. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the score for Titanic? The critic score is incorrect, unless you are specifically talking about the technical aspects of the film, obviously, cinematography, production, design, costumes, all quite an achievement to the crew and Mr. James Cameron. However, the movie is three hours and a half, uh, which means that we got at least about an hour and a half of the most ridiculous, unrealistic, infuriating love story since my grandma's favorite telenovela. So I believe it should be 69%. I agree with the audience. I also like that number because it's dirty. Very filthy number. <laughs> oh, I really like that. I'm going to use that. That number is dirty. All right, Mark, what about you? Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong? Well, as someone who wasn't making out so they could pay attention to the movie, Darina, I think Rotten Tomatoes is right. I was swept up in a world of imagination. I felt like I was back in 1912, even though I wasn't alive then. And it never wavered for me as far as being this mystical, magical, attention-sucking three-and-a-half-hour boat trip that maybe we should call, instead of the Jack Lemmon Walter Matthau film, Out to Sea. We are going to rename this movie so many times over the course of this episode. I want you fans at home to keep a tally of how many. So far, we've got the boat movie, boat trip, out to sea, and Bodie McBoatface movie. I want to know what your <laughs> what your where your top choices are. I think that Rotten Tomatoes is rightish. I do think it's right. I think it's rightish for 1997. I don't know if that movie would get the same score now. But I do feel it was right for 1997 for what James Cameron did, because to what Darina said, I kind of echo that it kind of it 
it definitely was a technological achievement and which follows in line of a long history of technological achievement movies being both popular at the box office, but also at the uh, awards show. So it fits into a long history, which I'm gonna bore y'all with. But before I do that, don't worry, we still have our review curation manager, Mr. Tim Ryan, back for his newly titled segment, Two Minutes with Tim. Oh man. <laughs> uh wow. Yeah, so there's a song for our segment now. Uh I love it. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> I'm just sort of slack-jawed right now. Anyway, this is taking up too much of my segment, so I'm gonna stop talking. Um <laughs> I'm very flattered. I'm very embarrassed. Uh but let's talk about Titanic. So before Titanic came out, there was more discussion about the fact that it was over budget. It was delayed, and there were rumors that were later confirmed that there were a lot of issues during its making, a lot of problems on the set. So when it was released, a lot of the praise from critics was not only for the performances by Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, and not only for the groundbreaking special effects, but the fact that James Cameron pulled it off at all. Um, it's certified fresh at 89% on the tomato meter with 192 reviews, and it's got a 69% audience score. Um, and even as people were wowed by it, there was also a little bit of criticism about the fact that, you know, there's times where it felt a little cheesy, a little hard on its sleeve, but you know. So what do the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, James Cameron's 194-minute, $200 million film of the tragic voyage is in the tradition of the great Hollywood epics. It is flawlessly crafted, intelligently constructed, strongly acted, and spellbinding. On the other hand, in a rotten review, Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times wrote that Titanic was a hackneyed, completely derivative copy of old Hollywood romances, a movie that reeks of phoniness and lacks even minimal originality. Now, Kenneth Turan is a great critic, and a great critic calls it like he sees it, and that's what he did. James Cameron famously wrote a lengthy letter to the Los Angeles Times, more or less calling for Kenneth Turan to be fired over this. And please don't do this. If you're a filmmaker, if you're an audience member, anytime you read a negative review, it's part of a discussion. And that kind of discussion is good and it's healthy. And like you learn from negative reviews or reviews of films that you like that are dissenting. But speaking of discussion, near, far, wherever they are, I believe in my heart that Jacqueline and Mark will continue to discuss this film and that discussion will go on. So take it away, folks. <laughs> Man, we got a supersized segment of Tim's because I don't know if that was two minutes. I don't know. I think the laughing at the song was at least a minute. Um, whichever jingle girl had to do that jingle, I'm sorry, Lucy made you do it. I'm really sorry. The song was incredible. I don't. Do we have theme music that we just aren't aware of that that comes in and post somehow? I I don't know. Tim gets his. Tim deserves his theme music, but I mean, you and I have put some legwork into this show too. I mean, yeah, I want a theme song, but I would like editorial um, maybe input into it because that is the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I feel that person crying a little bit as she's singing it's it. I feel like happy. it's a hostage jingle. <laughs> no, no, it wakes you up. That That is the that, that's the Rembrandt's I'll be there for you of podcast jingles. Hey, you know what? It could be that way because I didn't like that song. What about you, Dorita? Are you, are you digging it? Our segment with Tim? You haven't I heard mean, anything else, so you don't know. 
Look, not to diss Celine Dion, because I think she's one of the most fantastic singers we ever had, but it's better than My Heart Will Go On. Wow, you're, you dunk on this movie so well. That's I'm spicy. so excited. Yeah, yeah, that is spicy. Um, all right, so let's take a quick minute here. Thank you, Tim, for, for taking us down on that one. I very much also want to mention the Keith Duran thing. When we get into the industry talk, there's a lot that I've said about how this movie changes as you get later. And a lot of it has to do with James Cameron. So I'm so glad that Tim brought up the fact that he did do that. I've read the letter. It is one of the most like, if you ever want to know if somebody is really gassed up on their ego, read that letter. But let's get into it. Let's talk movies. So we're going to move into our movie talk section and sort of rehash what was on screen. So Christian, our lovely sound producer, cue us up. Excellent. So let's go ahead and start with you, Dorina. Why do you, I'm guessing, want to set fire to this movie? Well, I mean, there's a lot of water in the ocean, so it's fine. It can handle the fire. Uh, look, again, I will repeat myself from the intro. I think that I did not hate this movie when I saw it. I hated the love story specifically. When I was in the theater, even though I was 14 or 15 years old, supposedly a teenage girl, which is supposed to be the audience for, or, or part of the audience for this movie, I did not enjoy any of the love story at all. I was, it's, it's especially including the fact that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, fantastic cast, obviously very good at their uh, craft as actors, had one of to deal with one of the worst scripts I've ever heard when it comes to specifically their cheesy dialogue scenes. Like I, James Cameron is so lucky that he hired two fantastic actors to do this, because imagine if he had hired somebody like Jessica Alba and Ashton Kutcher, that would have not been the same movie. Just saying. <laughs> that would have been Valentine's because, Day, not the exactly. date, the actual exactly. movie. Shout out yes. to Gary Marshall. <laughs> Yes, but um, obviously the technical achievement is incredible what they did. I mean, the movie still, even if you watch the movie now, it still looks incredible for for it being a 90s movie. Like the special effects are such an achievement. I, it's, it's still very impressive. And if I, if I fast forward through the love story scenes, it's actually a great disaster movie. It's just the love story that ruins it for me. It doesn't ruin the movie in the sense that I still enjoy the way it looks, but it's a movie about it's that's supposed to be a one, one, about one of the most tragic and horrifying shipwrecks in modern history, and we have to spend most of it wa watching two idiot teenagers in this forbidden Romeo and Juliet story that's worse than like Romeo and Juliet. Not to diss Shakespeare because he's great, but I just mean worse in the sense that it's annoying people in love. Uh, also, a reminder that the story happens within one to two days, two to three days, I believe is how long these two kids fall in love with each other. The move, all the scenes where there's people flying off the propellers and there's people dying and there's destruction and there's people drowning, like it's so tragic and it's really beautifully done. Just cut, cut it to an hour and a half or two, sorry, cut it to two hours and a half and you still have you just you just cut basically an hour of the love story. But it's 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 like if you listen to the actual dialogue, it's like written by a 13 year old boy. You jump, I jump. I'm the king of the world. I'm flying. Paint me like one of your French girls. Like, I think <laughs> James Cameron should have had Gail Ann Hurd help him write the script like he like she did on Terminator. And it would have been better. Wow. Well. Not very many women stay around James Cameron in the creative process. I'm not saying oh, that to be judgmental. Oh, I'm oh. saying that based on fact. Anyway, Mark, what's your thesis for Sis. why you, I guess, is it love? Is it actually love? 
it, it, it's not love, it's infatuation. And I feel the same way about Jack and Rose's relationship as I do this entire movie. So this movie is super fresh for me because I think that Jack and Rose, let's just say they both survive and they get off the boat, fine. But And I, I don't think that they work out long term. But I think that that's one of those things that whatever they do in their life, whoever they meet, they're going to find the love of their life and probably procreate and have grandkids and all that stuff. But they're always going to look back with fond memories on that relationship and how passionate it was, how heated it was, how freeing it was, how it steered their lives in a different productive direction. So I look at Titanic, the movie, the same way, because is it the movie that I rewatch time and time again? Not necessarily, but I always look back on it in 1997 where I was, the curmudgeon, the skeptic that I was walking into a movie that I knew was going to be this big sweeping love epic. And how it won me over, how I, it, it made me feel like I was in 1912. And I think part of that is what Darina was talking about with the technical achievements of this movie still hold up. There's no, oh, okay, I got to I gotta forget that there's no cell phones, that there's no whatever. You feel like you're on the boat. You feel like you're in that year on the Titanic and you're having this fantastic voyage and then this incredible tragedy. And so everything that their relationship was for each other is me with this movie where it's intense when it's happening afterwards. I don't think that it's the movie I'm going to be championing. It's not the franchise that I'm like, oh, no, Titanic's the best movie of all time. But for what it did while it was on, my hat's off. All right. I I can't go that far. Honestly, 1997, teenage Jacqueline, this movie was bigger than Casablanca. This movie was everything. <laughs> like, I think if you asked me at that point, I know I had the VHS tape, the double extended edition. Um, I saw it in the theaters several times, had the hugest crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, like lived, lived, lived this movie. But the movie's met. It's fine. It's a fine movie. It was really popular. This sensation that it sort of inspired, not just with teenage girls, but with people all over the globe was huge. And I think it was the movie for that time because it, it showed how technology could catch up to filmmaking in a way and bring us to an entire different level of movie making that I don't think anybody kind of thought was possible at that time. And it really sort of, I think, opened the door for this type of movie to continue to be made. Um, but there's nothing great about it. I mean, Keith Duran called it like it is. It does rip off old Hollywood classic movies, some of which we'll get to in the industry talk, and there's nothing amazing about it. The thing about it, which is amazing, is the attention to detail that James Cameron had in making this movie the most luxurious, epic, sweeping thing possible. It's like Ben-Hur. It's like, you know, The Wizard of Oz. It was so big and had so much ambition that the, again, the fact that they pull it off is half of it. And this was early before we knew Kate Winslet was going to be one of the greatest actors of our generation, before we knew what Leo was going to be able to do. And so seeing them this early and more importantly, the bond that they created during the filming of this movie is why I'm like, it's fine. I'm not going to have any big reasons to rail on it, but I'm definitely not going to look anyone with a straight face that's like, this is the greatest movie ever, which some people, you know, do think. Oh, people, but, there's people out there. There's people out there that will oh, just, yeah, that, that, this, that this is their movie. And what I do love about what you said, Jacqueline, is that this movie does feel like an homage to the Hollywood sweeping romance classics, or even just like those big, like, like I remember my dad telling me he saw the Ten Commandments in a theater and you just couldn't believe how big the screen was. 
but this doesn't there's movies that are made that are intended to be throwbacks and they always feel like they're trying to like kiss up to an elder this didn't feel like that this just felt like it was one of those movies as opposed to trying to pay homage to it so I, i think that is an achievement in amongst itself I agree that it feels like one of those movies. My only problem with that is that it feels that way because he literally like cribbed from that. <laughs> he literally was like, oh, this movie, I'm going to take the exact plot, the exact thing. It's just so ridiculous. But all right, that's that's how we feel about it generally. Mark is good. Dorina, not so good. Me, lukewarm in the middle. Uh, but let's talk into specifics. What are something from the movie and the action that kind of stuck out to you? Like a scene where you're like, okay, this encompasses why I have problems with this movie. And I'll start with you, Dorita. Well, uh, let's talk about Billy Zane because I love Billy Zane. Phantom, the Phantom's great movie. I don't care what people say. I enjoyed it. Uh, I agree Ellis with you. is giving me weird looks about it. But um, here's the thing about Billy Zane's character is that every character in this movie, I mean, you got Kathy Bates, who's obviously a fantastic actress, actually the only real relatable character in the entire movie because Jack, Rose, Billy Zane's character, I forget his name, um, and uh, the mom they're all these one-dimensional characters like you like there's no subtlety to either uh, to any of the characters specifically billy zane is this guy that's just like i am evil and rich and your <laughs> the audience is supposed to hate me the entire movie and you're not supposed to want me to be with rose so i'm going to act the shit out of that is what he did basically and so uh, the, the, the scene specifically that I remember where I started making out with my boyfriend because of it is because I got mad at it is when you see Rose trying to save Jack and she basically goes all the way up to the boat, comes down again and does that like three times. It's exhausting to see her go up and down and almost drown and everybody's excited and stressed out about it. When she finally gets <laughs> the last time she decides to jump off one of the boats, she specifically like she finds Jack and they say Jack and Rose to each other like 20 times. And then Billy Zane's character sees them, gets really angry and starts shooting at them while a cruise ship that they're on is going down into the water, while the giant cruise ship that they're moving along in starts sinking, Billy Zane decides, I'm gonna start shooting at these people because I'm that mad. That's about the time that I lost my shit and I said, I am going to start making out with my boyfriend because I am so angry about this. I don't know why they did that. It's just ridiculous. We just need the disaster movie. We don't need the disaster characters. You're so stupid. Why'd you do that, huh? You're so stupid, Rose. Why did you do that? Why? You jump high, jump right. Okay, wait. So you're saying that if Billy Zane, instead of shooting at them, if he was wearing a purple skin-tight costume, jumped on a giant white horse, and then rode and kicked Leo off the boat, like the Phantom would have done, then you would have loved that movie. Would have been. It would have won 15 Oscars. Correct. Competitive Oscars. (laughs) Lamb evil. (laughs) Um, All right, Mark. So obviously this is not the Titanic Phantom. Another name. Uh, Mark, what what kind of encompasses why you think it's pretty good? Okay. Well, uh, the kid from Growing Pains on a Ship and Kate Winslet. Because look, when you meet Kate Winslet's character, her first line in this movie I, I hated her. I was like, I hate everything about you. I cannot stand you. 
But we do warm up. And so while I agree with Dorena that a lot of these characters are one dimensional, I love the matriculation of revealing the layers of Rose where we do see that there's more beneath the surface, that she is this person crying to reach out. And a lot of that is thanks to the narration and the storytelling framework that is modern day. That is, we, we see Gloria Stewart playing very old Rose, and she's looking back on this and sharing her memories with the crew that's trying to do research on the current Titanic. And I think that that really helps sell the character of Rose to me. But the scene where I'm buying fully into Rose and I'm buying fully into Leo, who, again, had a threshold to get over for guys in 1997 because we just thought he was some teen heartthrob. The boiler room scene, wherever they are, sort of underground, where they're all dancing and it feels like it's prohibition and dancing's illegal, but we're doing this dirty dancing scene and it's just so much fun and it is full of life. And they, James Cameron does that quick cut back to Billy Zane and his cronies where they're just smoking cigars and having brandy and talking about whatever. And it just looks boring and dull. And then we get back to the fun and we see Rose cutting loose and doing her dancing. Alcohol helps. Okay. There, there's a lot of beer. It looks like some sort of Guinness Newcastle being swigged down there, but it is just such an enjoyable scene. And that might've been the moment that I say, I want these kids to work. This is clearly the right kind of boy for him and this uh, for her. And this is the person that he has now won over to his side of life, that it's more about having fun than it is how much money you can make. And that is the one where I'm not only am I enjoying the movie and the fact that I feel like I'm on this boat, but now I'm emotionally invested in these characters. I'm gonna dance with her now, all right? Come on. Come on. Come with me. Jack. Okay. It's pretty schmaltzy, but I could see how it woos you. I could see it. I could Schmaltz see how it good. disarms you. I, I get it. Because um, my my scene to sort of like describe why I think it's good and why I'm able to forgive most of it flaws is actually a very short scene with little dialogue. Key there. They don't have a lot of words to mess this scene up. <laughs> But it's actually um, at the end uh, with the musicians. When the Titanic was going down, the uh, band, the musicians that had been playing throughout the entire dining room during the Titanic for the first class customers, they actually come up onto the deck and start playing as they're trying to evacuate everyone. And they play literally right until the bitter end. And you can see the water like coming up on them. And one of the, the violinists turns to the others and he's just like, it's been a pleasure playing with you guys this oh, evening. Oh yeah, I know. Ooh. And that's like a very like emotional moment. So it really hits you in the feels. That was part of the reason why people were obsessed with this movie. Also, it's historically accurate. This was actually true. The actual uh, musicians on the Titanic. And that was a detail that Cameron wanted to include because he was so meticulous about getting as many of the historical details right that he didn't sacrifice for narrative structure. Obviously, Jack and Rose are not real, but he really did try to put as many of the real aspects of the story into it, both with the people who died, but also with sort of the 
the quiet acts of heroism. I mean, even the guy that's like next to Jack and Rose as they're going down and about to go into the water, the baker, that is actually the only person that gave a live account of what that was actually like, those moments. He was one of the few people they were able to fish out. Anyway, to me, that really sort of encompasses why it's great. You get the technological aspect of the fact that they made that look real. You get the emotional aspect. And as you notice, it doesn't include a lot of Jack and Rose and it doesn't include a lot of dialogue because it's all of the stuff around that that really make it a great movie to me today. Back into 1997, I just wanted to get to the scene with her in the car and like, oh, get to the yeah, like in 97, I had very, very low expectations. And we'll actually get to another thing that this movie, the other thing is about how this movie ties in. And it was such a huge part of people's like identity back in 1997. But um, Dorita, that do you have another one? That, that band scene, though, Dorita, you got to yeah. get you got to love no, the band scene. I do. And I wish the movie was about the band. So many historically accurate things that James Cameron could have focused on that were way better than Rose Jack, Rose Jack, Rose Jack, Rose Jack. Just let me say the, something about that band too. The, but, the, but imagine the, the, if the movie was about the musicians or the old couple that's drowning in the bedroom. Way more interesting than Rose and Jack. Gentlemen, it has been a privilege playing with you tonight. I, I want the unsinkable Mary Brown movie. I, I just want the two and a half hours of Kathy Bates walking around the ship because she's so good and just has such a personality. But that band, I have to speak for every comedian, we've all felt like that band doing gigs. And no, maybe lives weren't lost at sea while we're performing, but I've done birthday parties. I've done a moving bus. I've done corporate events. I did a post-prom party. I performed for nuns in a church before. And you just sometimes feel like the ship is sinking, but all you can do is keep playing because that's the job you were hired to do. And damn it, you're going to finish the job. And it is just such a beautiful scene. I am, I'm so happy that Cameron left that in there, that put that in there. I didn't know it was you know historical fact until later. And knowing that, I just, my hat's off to those brave members of the real Titanic band that went down with the ship. They're still playing somewhere deep at sea. I mean, no, Rose, they greeted Rose at the end, you know, mm -hmm. in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. So they're yes, playing they up there. Yes, uh, Dorina, is there another like moment or scene that sort of like, I guess, tipped you over the edge of hatred? <laughs> well, since you just mentioned the whole scene with the afterlife, let's start with why Jack could have fit on the massive plank. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about this. And I know it's been debated. And I know Mythbusters, I believe, even made an episode about it. And James Cameron replied to them and said, I don't care. Jack had to die. We know what <laughs> James Cameron was trying to do here. However, there's even people that have done this where they both fit perfectly well on the massive plank and they're even playing cards. And on top of that, Rose had the life jacket when she could have given it to Jack. So I don't understand any of that scene. I was very angry by then because uh, I was already angry at the fact that it was three hours and a half and I really had to pee and there was no intermission for some reason during this movie uh, in Mexico, at least. And so, I mean, I'll never let go. Girl, you did let go. And you also let go of the necklace worth millions of dollars that could have helped the earth. That's another thing that pissed me off. So it's all related. <laughs> and also talking about the afterlife scene specifically, so we're supposed to think that she's going to end up with him in heaven and they all uh, welcome her. What about grandpa? What about like, wh where is Rose's old lady's husband? Like, that see, he that's died? the like, thing. What is I that? Like, he, sh she's supposed to see him for like two. Oh, sorry. Continue, Jacqueline. I actually think it's Jack's baby. Like, I didn't see how many kids. They only show one kid, right? 
and one grandchild. Uh, okay, so you're saying that Jack got her pregnant, and okay, but still, I got to side with Doreen on this then because it's still then this guy was living with, was married to her, presumably loved her, and was raising a kid that he might have known wasn't his. But I don't know how often. Can you imagine being like the rebound and just hearing about this watery Jack? All day and night. She probably calls him Jack in the bedroom and he's like, Hey honey, you did it again. You're coming back again. And and, and she's probably into like weird fetishes. Like, no, let's get ourselves in freezing cold water and then make love. And and he's like, Honey, you got off the ship, okay? I'm not gonna keep oh. doing this. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I love the idea of Rose being like a cold water fetishist. Yeah. Oh, where is that movie? I'm I, hey, that I bet it's been made. I bet it it's been made. Haven't. Well, there's that great song that Paint did about like what happens to the Brit Disney princesses after Happily Ever After and like people accusing <laughs> Belle of bestiality and the fact that Jasmine is probably like uh, uh, Aladdin's probably locked up for terrorism. So I'm about <laughs> seeing the unhappily ever after of what happens with Rose after she like, maybe ha maybe she does have, maybe she only has sex in the back of cars. I can see That's that true. too. But also, um, I mean, what about like, like, is do you think grandpa is just waiting in heaven? Like, where is she? She just died. She's supposed to be here. Who is this Jack guy that she, apparently she's reuniting with that she only knew for two days? And also, I didn't know she had all this money on this jewel she threw in the ocean. And I had to help support our kids. And she just threw a bunch of millions of dollars in the ocean. And she just kept it to herself this entire time. So just saying. Also, how was she like financially dependent? She walked off that boat with a jacket and a and a diamond and she was just like living life without having to sell that that diamond lasts a day because <laughs> she like when she doesn't have any skills she's not like she knows how to sew like this woman was in a gilded cage she literally says it but she walked that's off that here boat. nor there she didn't have a lot with her but she had a new attitude and she had a pretty good contact with uh with the unsinkable one so I, I think she probably could have cobbled together. You do some speeches, you inspire some people about your survival story, and you make a few bucks until you can get back up on your feet. But like, I, I think that you bring up something interesting, Darina, where because there's so much light to be made, and, and there's so much levity and laughs we can have about this movie, and not necessarily even plot holes, but just like random stuff, like what happened to Grandpa. But when you're watching the movie, I give this film so much credit for eliminating all that stuff. And a big reason why is another one of my, I guess, scenes, Jacqueline, is 
just the the way that they tell the story at the beginning where they're not just trying to thrust you back into 1912 like okay 1912 here's what was happening at the time no we start out in modern day and we get to see all this cool technology and we're looking at the titanic sunken and it just gives you this different feel that i don't think a lot of viewers were expecting when we went in we were expecting to see Mm. teen heartthrobs this movie's going to be like tiger beat on a boat but man it was in depth you cared about it and bill paxton a James Cameron favorite for good reason. The one scene in particular with all of these cut back to the future when we're narrating it is when we get Rose on the boat because she sees the picture that Jack drew for, and which is preposterous in and of itself. That, oh, yeah, I'm, no, I'm the person. Fly me on a helicopter. Fly my 99-year-old ass on a helicopter to a remote location in the Arctic, and I'll help you all find this thing. But we get there and she starts telling the story. And so Bill Paxton and his crew go from these hardened, in some context, pirates looking for sunken treasure to just being pups at her feet, listening to every word of her story. And so that change that we see on screen is the same change that I think a lot of teenage asshole boys like myself had when we were in that movie. We didn't know we were going to get wrapped up in this story, but we did. But what he said is really a big part of the marketing of this movie was the fact that like they marketed it to men like on ESPN as the boat disaster movie and they marketed it as the epic sweeping love story on more female centric. So like in between 90210 episodes, you're seeing I'll never let go. But if you're watching Monday Night Football and you're seeing the same advertisement, you're literally just seeing massive people die under crushingly cold water. Um, I, I do like that about the movie. It's three hours, you know, long, but it also I think has that duality to it that I think a lot of people like. Um, I think the last one that I kind of enjoy, and it's mostly just because I enjoy one of the characters that's present, is the dinner scene where Jack, first of all, he gets fitted out with duds because, you know, he's been invited to dinner by Billy Zane, mostly to embarrass him. And after he (laughs) saved Rose's life from her attempted suicide, you know, poor little rich girl. So as a reward, they invite him to dinner. And then at that dinner, um, he comes dressed to the nines because Molly Brown, who was somebody who was new money, she was a formerly poor person who became a rich person. She outfitted him with duds because she knew he's a lamb for the slaughter. And that whole scene is amazing. Just Leo's charisma. Like you have to be just such a charismatic individual to pull off that scene and not come off as a dick. Um, And yeah, I think it was really, really great on his part. Here I am on the grandest ship in the world having champagne with you fine people. I'll take some of that. I figure life's a gift and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're going to get dealt next. You learn to take life as it comes at you. Oh, here you go, Cal. To make each day count. Are you in on that scene, Dorena? Are, are you in on yes. that scene? Because the dinner scene is great. Because it wasn't love story. There's no love story. Anything with no love story is great. Did you just get rid of the did you just get rid of like the telenovela stuff and it's great. She's fallen for him in that scene though. I, I mean you can see and, and everybody else at the table's fallen for him. And, and that's what I loved about it is getting all these other rich guys that are not Billy Zane to be like, I kinda like this kid. He's got Moxie and Billy Zane is just so evil that he's like, nah, nah. I I I mean, I might have been that way too if I had seen how much he was in love with my lady, but yeah, I, I, that's a great, great call, Jacqueline. It made me want to have yeah. dinner with rich people, which is not something I say often. 
Yeah, True. definitely not. That's um, and point. again, I just like the unsinkable Molly Brown uh, musical. I like her story. And so I liked Kathy Bates portrayal of it. She is a close second to Debbie Reynolds, who has the first. But let's sort of head and like sum up uh, the movie talk section. Um, Doreen, final thoughts on basically the film itself, what works, what did, what doesn't. I mean, I think I've made some of my points pretty clear, but I will say first to start with the positive look. It, this movie is still a technical achievement. Whether you like the story or not, it's an incredibly impressive thing that this crew and cast uh, created for us. And it's I understand why uh, it's you know why it's in a lot of people's best film of all time list, even if it's like number fifty or something like that. Uh, it gave James Horner an Oscar, which he deserved way earlier. If you're a fan of me, of all the you know, 80s movies with uh, Land Before Time, uh, American Tale, great composer that should have won an Oscar years and years ago. It gave me my first kiss. It was a bad kiss, but I still enjoyed it. I thought that was that was really fun that I got to do that uh, while Billy Zane's uh, eyebrows were very pissed off during the movie. Uh, but uh, look, at the end of the day, I'm happy it makes you all happy. I just feel like I would have enjoyed the movie better if it was about somebody else. If the characters were not as, you know, cheesy telenovela-like characters, maybe, maybe if, if I had remade this movie, I would basically take like three groups of people and make the movie about them. The musicians, the old couple that decided to drown together in the in the bedroom and decided to just die together, uh, and Kathy Bates' character, the Insigable Mally Brown. I think all of those groups of characters are much more interesting characters than Leo and Kate, and I think the only reason it worked for a lot of people is because they're such great actors. That's it for Movie Talk. We're gonna switch over to the sort of industry behind the scenes stuff, so. I like these oh. things. Kidoki. There's a lot to break down with Titanic. I mean, the movie dang near killed everyone involved in making it. And there's just like so much to get into. But Mark, I'm going to start with you. Like, it's James Cameron, really, that we just have to break down because there's so much to break down there. <laughs> there really is. And, and I think that James Cameron kind of led the charge for all dads after seeing this movie that because my dad got obsessed with the Titanic, like documentaries and stuff like that after going to see it. And James Cameron got bit by that bug so hard during the making of this movie because he now like probably has the record for the most deep sea dives to the actual location of the Titanic. Like, dude has been down there like what Bill Paxton's character is doing in the modern day elements in the movie. He's down there and he's looking at the real Titanic and it just became this newfound passion so much so that James Cameron's post-Titanic career in film, it, it took him, what, 12 years after that to, to make Avatar? And I think a lot of that is because he, he's dreaming up this new world when Pandora, but he's also just like, I think I just want to keep exploring the mysteries of the deep with the Titanic. And he took an entire generation of people with him. We all wish we had the money James Cameron did because I would love to go down there and just look at this this ghost ship that is the Titanic. It is such an air of mystery to it. And I think that that became James Cameron's new obsession. That's probably been the longest relationship that James Cameron has had with anything, Jacqueline. <laughs> he loves the Titanic. He does love the Titanic. Look, I don't want to like uh, go in on James Cameron. He's a, a brilliant filmmaker. He's great. Um, in the sense, yeah, he's done some incredible things in cinema. However, he also has a history of a lot of his female uh 
collaborators saying that he's, you know, not the easiest man to work with if you're a woman. And look, when this thing came out, everybody was obsessed with it, not just from the announcement, um, be, not because of the stars, but because of how ambitious it was, because what James Cameron had done before, they're like, this is the action movie guy. Like, what is he going to do to Titanic? There were many people thinking that he was just going to try and make the movie Titanic into a theme ride rather than actually tell the story. And so there was just like a whole bunch to it. And so, yeah, man, I mean, there was, <laughs> there is this whole mythos about him as a director after he's like holding up those two Oscars at the Academy Awards that I think didn't really get sort of uncovered until we saw how bad he could not be, how badly he was able to maintain his disdain for the fact that he lost to his ex-wife for Avatar. Because that picture from the Golden Globes, <laughs> the year that the Hurt Locker won and he lost for best picture, that is probably the best acting James Cameron will ever do in his life. And it is barely holding it on. So not to diss on the guy, but anybody who would write a letter like he wrote to the Los Angeles Times, which did not really disparage Keith Turan for having a negative opinion, but more so him having a negative opinion about the movie that he created was so great that he is a no longer a credit to his profession. Like basically saying, if you are too stupid to understand how great my movie is, you should not be doing this anymore. Like that's an ego though. I don't know. Did you know about James Cameron in, in Mexico, Dorita, where they like telling you like this dude's nuts? I mean, look, he, he created the, uh, my favorite uh, second Aliens movie or Alien movie. Uh, or a movie about xenomorphs, the most beautiful monster ever created. Uh, so I give him credit. Terminator's a, a fantastic movie. Again, as a reminder, written, co-written with Gail Ann Hurd. I think that uh, when it comes to people like James Cameron, uh, they are visionaries and they have a lot of great ideas, but they, I personally believe that the better films of his are where he has help in the writing department and other uh, places. I think that that's what Jacqueline's talking about ego-wise, uh, that um, it, you it, it would have been, Titanic could have been 100% of Rotten Tomatoes if he had help from Gail and her to write it. I'm just saying. And it uh, is, so yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, Titanic, it, it, again, it's, it's over three hours and you look at James Cameron matriculating through his career as a director. I mean, he started with like Piranha 2 or something like that, but... It seems like every movie that he got, it it had a little more of his stamp on it and probably a longer running time, too, because Terminator 2 what might have been around the same time as The Abyss, but then The Abyss had a super long director's cut. And then mm -hmm. True Lies is a super long movie where I think most studios that they weren't doing with James Cameron would be like, oh, we go way too deep into this weird subplot of Tom Arnold helping you, you know, get revenge on the guy that we think your wife's cheating on. I love those scenes in True Lies, but I'm just saying it's like that is clearly a director who has full reign and doesn't have to listen to the studio anymore. And then Titanic took it to a new level. But the credit that I give Cameron for Titanic, besides the filmmaking aspects, is just sticking with it because when this movie was about to come out, people were worried that this was going to be like one of the biggest box office bombs eclipsing Waterworld as mm -hmm. a movie that got so much money sunk into it and it just never came like i remember artic reading articles in magazines like cinescape saying who is this movie made for where is the audience coming from and it ended up being all of us yeah that was the thing about it that that was what i was like touching on a little early and i'm so glad you brought that up mark is this was the action guy 
casting what you would assume to be independent film people and putting a lot of that around it. And he's just making the thing as big as Texas for reasons. I mean, like this is the thing, you could have made Titanic and I think it would have still been an amazing movie for a hundred million dollars less than what James Cameron did, but he wanted to go down to Titanic. He wanted to go film down there. He wanted to get an exact recreation of the, the, um, the China that they used, and he wanted to make sure it was made the same way as it was made when it was on Titanic. Like, who does that? Nobody does that. That's silly. It's overkill. But that's the kind of attention to detail that allows a movie to become what it did, both at the box office and also at the Academy Awards. I mean, it's crazy to think about it now because it's sort of like Forrest Gump. We don't marvel anymore about the CGI that they used in Forrest Gump to get to insert him into those moments in history. But at the time, that was like a huge deal. The 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 slide of hand that they did to make it feel like you were actually a part of the boat, the fact that they built this huge set and and had so much of it practically, I think that's just very ambitious. And the Oscars and box office love that. Everything from The Wizard of Oz, that Technicolor dream, to even lesser known stuff like The Greatest Show on Earth, um, that was DeMille's like great thing. Critics hated that movie. That movie was like panned as stupid, overblown and over the top. And it won best picture, mostly because of the technological achievement. This literally goes back to the very first Oscar that was ever given. It was for a movie named Wings, which was a fighter pilot movie. And they gave that an award mostly because of the amazing camera work that they were able to do in that film. So I'm okay with it. You know, Gloria Stewart got her flowers towards the end. It's good. I mean, I'm about it. J James ha James Horner got his flowers and he also wrote like, first of all, James Horner got so paid on this movie. That soundtrack was so huge. The the VHS sales like it was just the movie was bigger than people can fathom. I think now when movies aren't allowed to get that big. Yeah. And also uh, to just to mention a little bit more behind the scenes stuff to what you guys are talking about, uh, the you know, I don't know how many people know that this, but the replica that they built for the Titanic boat was actually built in Rosarito, Mexico. Uh, so they actually filmed like they actually like good stuff came out of this movie and James Cameron. Like I know uh, Mark mentioned True Lies earlier as well. So they created a whole studio, Fox did, down in Baja California State in Mexico to make this movie. And then it, eventually they ended up uh, filming other movies down there. Like uh, I think Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, Deep Blue Sea, Pearl Harbor, like a bunch of movies were shot down in Mexico because of this. And I don't think a lot of people know that eventually it became a, a, a place that you could tour the studio. I don't know if that's still accessible. But also with True Lies and these other James Cameron movies, uh, you know, uh, places like Digital Domain were created, right? Like they created these VFX houses that are now have done incredible things and, and groundbreaking effects in movies. So a bunch of good stuff did come out of this man's ego. <laughs> also, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sure the internet will correct me, the last scene in Roma, which people don't realize is a pretty much complete VFX shot. I believe that the VFX studio, I think that's the VFX studio that you're referencing. Cause I, the last scene in Roma for those that don't know, there's a whole scene where she goes out into the water to save the kid. And it looks like she's actually going to the ocean, but it's actually VFX and they like break down how they did it. And if I'm not mistaken, wow. I think it's from that town. Am I right, Dorina? Do you know? Rosarito, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I just, I need to go look at this later, but yeah, that was one of those ones. Look, it's an incredible achievement from, from Horner to everything else. Like 
can't go unsaid that like Leo and Kate too, their partnership was absolutely fused through this film and why they continue to be great friends and more importantly, great collaborators to this day. But it was mostly because they both got thrown into hell. And when you go into hell with someone, you bond. Um, they talk about it. It was a difficult shoot. The water was freezing cold. There was a ton of water. Water, as Mark alluded to, is one of the most difficult things to work with next to animals and children as far as a movie set because it's so <laughs> uncontrollable. Jaws, Waterworld, all of them talk about how water can destroy a movie set, but Thankfully, I think um, they were able to pull it off. And it's sort of like Mad Max. There's been a lot of retrospectives on Titanic where James Cameron talked about, maybe I shouldn't have selected the award by saying I'm king of the world. And, you know, maybe I could have been a little nicer on set. But I look at a movie like Mad Max. That movie won six Oscars. I think it was nominated for 10. And Kyle Buchanan of the New York Times did a recent um, sort of deep dive retrospective on how everyone in that movie hated each other. It was the most difficult shoot ever. Nicholas Holt took up knitting as a way to not kill people. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kid from About a Boy. Like he's like nice and they're turning him into beasts. And that just goes to show you that a movie can be hell to make and be an incredible success. And the movie can be the most fun. Everyone could have the greatest time doing it and it can be a complete failure. That's which is so beautiful. And and you have to point out that you can't take credit. If you are the tyrant, quote unquote, director, you can't take credit for how great of a chemistry Leo and Kate had. It's like, because they're kind of uniting against you in some regards. But I, I do think it's that chemistry, however it was produced, for me, Darina, that might have allowed me to get over the fact that some of the dialogue felt very high school is that because uh, regardless of what you want to say about the writing of the movie, I totally buy them together. Like you, you feel like that they genuinely are, if not in love, at least infatuated with each other. And that is a credit to, I guess, how difficult James Cameron yeah. <laughs> made their Well, lives. I mean, they certainly bonded over it. And I mean, yeah. you can tell in the, you, uh, you're right, Mark, that you can tell in the movie that they, that the actors love each other, just not the characters, because that was two days that they knew each other. <laughs> so there's that. You know, what's really funny though, I agree with you, Darina, but back then I watch a lot of like old time, people met, dated for a week and got married that was actually yeah. very common in that timeline maybe not for a girl like rose with her level of like you know elevation but i was literally like they just meet some of them didn't even meet some of them was just like well, there's a pretty girl in the next village y'all ready to get married and like you show up so like i i agree with you that they had a whirlwind romance 97 standards but for 1912 that was about right that's a good like, point. But they you, were going for it. But do you guys think that Leo and Kate text each other still Rose and Jack 20 times a day? Mm. I mean, I don't know if they text each other Rose and Jack. Time. Look, that was Ray and Finn yelling at each other. Right. That was that before it was that. <laughs> I, I think that it, if Rose and Jack had survived and Jack, if there was enough room for Jack, then I think that it doesn't go well for them once they get back to America. I, I think it actually turns into their characters from Sam Mendes's Revolutionary Road, where right. you just end up in this very boring, mundane life because everybody gets older and you lose your idealism and your dreams a little bit. I also think, though, Darina, you can't fault Kate for not grabbing the necklace. I mean, come on. It, you can't take the most valuable thing of a relationship if the other one is currently dying and sinking in freezing cold Arctic water. You just can't do it. It's bad karma. All right. Look, again, I'm happy for you. You enjoyed this movie so much, Mark. <laughs> 
I just don't want you taking the necklace off me if I'm in that situation. If I'm going to drown at the bottom of the ocean, I want my valuable necklace on my neck. But you're already dead. Just saying. <laughs> That's true. I'm you such a pushover. Dead. I'm such a nice guy. I probably would give you the necklace. I, I would probably make room for the necklace on the boat before I make room for myself. I'm a giver. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Well, I think we've got it. I, look, I, I feel like these last few episodes, we've been trying to like break Mark's pride. He's been like romantic and we've all been like, eh. Hey. <laughs> yeah, but hey, I, mean, I but said I was happy for him, Jacqueline. Yeah, I, know. I, I feel supported here. I, I feel okay, like <laughs> y'all have my back. And I just want y'all to be supportive on the other side of it, too, is when I start dating somebody on a, and I'm into day three, then I want y'all to be like, Mark, it's gone on long enough. You know, I will send you a large Domino's for both of you to enjoy. Wait a minute. Yeah, I was going to say, Mark, you do not need me to tell you on day three. Mark is looking for the exit plan midway through date two. (laughs) That was a joke. Dorena, I I just need a thin crust for one and and maybe maybe a slice for the dog. I'm going to put pineapple (laughs) on it, though. Uh, Never mind. Send it back. Oh, oh, we need to discuss that one day, maybe. Actually, we're going to actually go to our next new segment um mailbag slash fan corner and i would just say since mark is firmly anti pineapples on pizza mm-hmm. and i think me and dorita are firmly yeah pineapples on jacqueline i Hell really yeah. don't even start with this conversation we don't have that much time left in the show <sighs> but from now on if you guys want to send us any messages which i really really hope you do please also let us know <laughs> If you like pineapples on pizza, but <laughs> let's let's go ahead and go over to the mailbag right now. All righty then. That is brand great new mailbag music. With brand new music. That yeah. music is like, oh, we're we're like a cat falling down the stairs. Will we land on our feet? This is gonna be fun. I'm with that one. Sorry if I didn't like the Tim one, but I'm with that music. That movie, that music's get you popping. That's a bop. All right, we're gonna start with our first fan email from Alex G. Alex says, I'm sure you guys have a list of movies to choose from, but what about Rush, the Rush Hour trilogy, Alita Battle Angel, Stargate, Deja Vu, The Ghost in the Darkness, or big capital letters, Willow? Sorry, I can go on. Hope to hear back and all is well. And I really, uh, yeah. And Oh, there we go. That was it. I would be intrigued by revisiting Willow because I've not seen that yes. movie in forever, like Sandlot forever. But yeah, the, the Ghost in the Darkness, I haven't seen in a minute. I feel like that movie probably feels problematic now. Um, but st- because the hunting Likely. and the white black thing, and it just, I, I, I don't yeah, know, yeah. It, 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 it feels like it's probably a little off, but, um, Alita Battle Angel is one that I have not seen like ever. And I hear such varying viewpoints on it. Like some people worship that movie and other people are like, what the hell did I just see? So I, w- w- let's put a pin in Alita Battle Angel. W- w- let's revisit that one. Yeah. I would put a pin on that one too. It's actually was filmed in Austin. I should love that movie. Um, I've only seen footage from it and I was not happy with what I saw, which kind of turned me off from seeing the whole movie, but I'd be down for that. I'm down for Willow for sure. Like that's in our book, Rotten Movies We Love. I live for Willow. There's a new television series coming out. Like Lucy, hope you're writing this down because that would be dope. Uh, Dorita, did any of those jump out for you before I go to this last uh, mailbag question? I grew up loving Willow. I was obsessed with Willow as a kid. 
total Val okay. Kilmer fan as a kid as well. So I would love for you guys to do that. I, I actually never saw Alita, but I am a crazy person when it comes to soundtracks and scores. And I sometimes listen to the soundtrack and not watch the movie. So uh, yeah. it's actually a pretty cool soundtrack by uh, Tom Hulkenberg. What's his name? Junkie XL. He did uh, Mad Max and, and some yeah. of the DC stuff. So. Dorita, we need to discuss this one day because that's all I can listen to when I'm writing. Um, and I write a lot because I work for RottenTomatoes.com. And oh, uh, y'all don't know the half tops... of it. You should hear yeah. whenever Jacqueline and I talk on the phone, there's just like banging away at a keyboard in the background. She, she's literally just Jack Torrance from The Shining all day. She's just, she's just <laughs> I have a typewriter stuff. keyboard and I like the clicks. <laughs> I like the clicks. Anyway, Lucy and Christian do not like the clicks. So I literally hear them right now being like this heifer. <laughs> but wait, real quick, we'll, we'll go into it. But Dorita, seriously, we need to discuss it. All my top Spotify artists are like Alan Menken, Alvin Silvestri, Nicholas Bertel. I worship everything that man has created. And thank you all for listening. Uh, Mark, before we close the show, I know you always have trivia because you're Mark Ellis. I do. That's what you do. I do. I'm excited about this trivia too. Okay, so... Darina, Jacqueline, Lucy can chime in, Christian can chime in if they want to. So we talked about how popular Titanic is, and it was obviously the record for the most the ticket sales of all time until, I believe, James Cameron broke his own record with Avatar. Um, as far as VHS copies go, Titanic is the third best-selling VHS movie of all time. Can you name number one and or two gone with the wind incorrect darina gets the hint they are both disney animated films Ooh, with those annoying clamshells beauty and the beast is incorrect Damn it. i think it is the lion king ding 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 the lion king is number one and you go all the way back to the original for number two, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So they had a lot of time. Yeah, that is a lot of time. Yeah. Very well done. Um, yeah. Again, uh, I want to thank Darina. For those of you that enjoyed our mailbag section and maybe you want to get your name called out on the mailbag section, please, please email us at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com or leave us comments on any of the places where you find this podcast. Darina. Ma'am, thank you so much. This was such fun. Um, but before you get out of here, tell folks, what have you been working on? Where can they catch you next? Uh, I am, as I said, as Jacqueline so beautifully uh, announced, I'm one of three world, three world girls with Roxy Strands of Sabra. We literally give things a whirl and we have a YouTube channel. We just started it last year during the crazy pandemic. We're like, let's just start a business together because we love working with each other. And it's been really the best company and uh, fellow partners I've ever worked with. Um, so we really enjoy ourselves. We have a really uh, sweet, amazing community. If you guys want to join us on our YouTube channel uh, every Wednesday and Sunday evening. And then if you guys are into the world of politics and want to actually uh, talk about uh, how much media bias there is and all the propaganda and all the bad stuff that's happening in the world, uh, Impolite Truths, a show I created with John Roca. Uh, we talk about politics from a humanist point of view and we get all kinds of awesome people. We get trolls. It's really fun out there every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh, thank you so much. This was lovely and really fun. Uh, thank you to uh, not just Jacqueline Mark, but uh, Christian Lucy uh, back there for uh, this was I I've never done this show before and this was a lot of fun uh, talking crap about love. It's what I do. So thank you all. I will. I will second what what Darina said about herself too. That she's a, a nut when it comes to scores and soundtracks. She is a certifiable genius. And 
her and I have probably been to four or five different cities that were having conventions where we were in the same city at the same time. And she was nice enough to have me on her panel when you're allowed to get together and do panels for conventions. She does a whole panel that is scores and soundtracks. And it's just a celebration of all the great stuff that goes in our ears when we're watching a movie. So it's a whole lot of fun. And I look forward to hopefully being invited back to one of those panels at some point in the future. When we actually have conventions, we shall see. You are always invited, Mark. (laughs) Dates are getting pushed, but even though we may not have conventions, you can watch Titanic right now. Please do find it on wherever you buy or download your video feels. Again, email us, subscribe, rate, review. We just want to hear from you guys. Please, please, please tell us what you think about the podcast. And yeah, we're just happy to be here. And so we want to hear what you guys think about it. And if you don't know, our show is now on Peacock. You can see it. I've teased it earlier when it wasn't real and y'all were mad, but now it's real. It's there. You can see it now. Uh, Mark, what do we got coming up for next week, though? Next week, I'm just being told in my ear, Jacqueline, it is Alita Battle Angel. We get to, I, I, I have homework to do now. I get to go watch a movie and, that I've never seen before. I revisited Titanic. I revisited The Notebook and Batman v Superman and Rise of Skywalker. Now I get to see a movie I've never seen before on my gorgeous, size doesn't matter, but in TVs it's kind of important, 75-inch TV. And I am pumped to get into Robert Rodriguez's world of Alita Battle Angel. I'll be there with you. Deep in the heart of Texas. I love everything Robert Rodriguez has done. And I have not watched, even Machete and Machete Kills. <laughs> I have not watched Alita Battle Angel because I don't want him to ruin what is, cons- like right now, my perfect filmmaker. He's not made a film that I haven't loved. So hopefully this one doesn't ruin his streak. But Ooh, you guys wait. can find that out. huh? I can't wait. I can- I've loved the guy since yeah. I saw Desperado. Immediately rented El Mariachi and I've just been... In, in a great relationship with Robert Rodriguez. And you and I had the chance that we got to interview him live yep. at South by Southwest. Like, I don't know. What was that? Not two years ago? Two years 19 ago? 19 years ago? It, it, the Jesus. time and space don't matter anymore. Just find the woman you love, find the boy you love, and date them for two days. It's <laughs> my advice to everyone. Oh, my God. We will talk that and more next week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, and we'll see y'all there. 